Welcome to the Continued Learning Podcast. My name is Dr. Fawn Carson, and I'm Senior Managing Editor at OccupationalTherapy.com. Today's podcast features our host, Dr. Dennis Cleary, discussing aquatic, a therapeutic aquatic intervention for kids on this autism spectrum with our guest, Dr. Erica Kemp. Thanks for listening. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us, and really happy to be joined today by my good friend, Dr. Erica Kemp from the, do we still say the Ohio State University? The Ohio State University. Though, have you seen the latest commercials? It's, we are the Ohio State University. No. Yeah, oh, that's good. Like... All right. Well, it's all, it's all part of the fun. So welcome, Dr. Kemp. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your, your OT history and what, you, what brought you to uh, talking to us today about aquatic uh, occupational therapy. <laughs> well, I was always a swimmer. I grew up around the pool and lived, breathe, eat chlorine, right? I was a lifeguard and a swim coach and all of those kinds of things. And when I started as an occupational therapist, um, realized that the kids that I was working with weren't able to go to regular swim lessons, but these families had a desire to, um, to go on vacation or take their kids to the pool and that sort of thing. So I, way back in probably 2002, started seeing some kids just in the pool on the side. Um, so it, it's it's been something that I think has evolved over the last 20 years of practice, for sure. Yeah, and I, I think we've known each other about that long. Sadly, probably, yeah. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> but I remember visiting you as a rehab director up in Sandusky, Ohio, near uh, the Great Lake Erie, and uh, remember you were even then being able to bill for some of the, the treatments that you were doing that I know a lot of other people had difficulty. So I always admired that you had sort of the excellence in, um, in clinical practice, but also a, a good savvy mind for the getting paid for our work. So that's always, always a good thing. So, and now your role at Ohio State, what, what do you do now? And I, you're kind of a big shot nationally as well, aren't you? I don't know about all that. So I, I gradually stepped away from clinical practice and into academia. So I initially was working um, at an OTA program, teaching pediatrics and doing field work. And then um, you called and said, you want to move to Columbus. So I've been in Ohio State for the last um, eight, eight years, I think. My daughter's nine. So yeah, eight years, um, started doing fieldwork coordination and then was also doing doctoral capstone coordination. And so that's the position I've been, I've had um, with the national side for the last three years as the ALC chair, Academic Leadership Council chair for the doctoral capstone coordinators. And that's been a lot of fun to get to think about what capstone looks like on a national level. How do we um, make use of, of what this capstone is and um and then most recently, over the last year, I've moved into the interim program director here at Ohio State. So um, I've done a little bit of everything in my career, which is unreal. Um, worked as a clinician, worked as a manager, as you stated, and then also pretty much every role here in academia. So jack of all trades, master of none. Oh, no, come pool. on. There you go. <laughs> so tell us about this pool Um intervention that you've created and and why um well just tell us a little bit about that and why it's so important especially for kids with autism right so the number one cause of unintentional death for kids on the spectrum up through age 14 is drowning and so a lot of this happens um, 
due to elopement, wandering, and then these kids, for some reason, are really drawn to water. And we theorize that the water feels really good on their bodies. Most of them are sensory seekers. And with the properties of water, the deeper you go, the more pressure you get on your body, so the better it feels. Um, so once kids kind of figure that out, they seek out bodies of water anywhere they go. Um, and when you think about it in a pool, um, a lot of kids will just kind of gradually move down, walk towards the deeper end without really thinking about it. And actually, we see a lot of drownings happen in, in the typical population right in that four to six feet um, depth, right, where they start to realize, oh, I can't touch anymore. Um, and so in, the, in our across kids of all ages, drowning is the number one cause of unintentional death up through age four. But then we don't see that drop off for kids on the spectrum. And one of the reasons we think is because they not only is elopement an issue, but also they don't seem to learn how to swim in typical community swim lessons. And if we think about it, most of these kids have some sort of individualized education program. You know, they learn differently. Um, and also, we know that as many as 83% of kids on the spectrum have motor skill impairment. And while that's not part of the DSM-4 diagnostic criteria, um, it actually is an, a difficulty that we see for a lot of these kids. And so what is swimming? It's a motor skill. Um, but it also kind of, it has a big cognitive component too, right? The safety awareness piece. Finally, earning CEUs is as easy and stress-free as listening to your favorite podcasts. Just head over to occupationaltherapy.com and sign up to start earning the CEUs you need online. You'll get unlimited access to hundreds of courses, including live webinars, on-demand videos, and text courses, and the audio courses you love for just $99 per year. And if you sign up today, you'll get 13 months of unlimited CEU access for the price of 12. This is an exclusive offer for our listeners, so don't wait. Go to occupationaltherapy.com and use promo code PODCAST and get 13 months for just $99. Join thousands of your colleagues who are already earning their CEUs online with occupationaltherapy.com, an AOTA-approved provider of continuing education and an NBCOT professional development provider. And don't forget to use promo code PODCAST at checkout to get your free bonus month. Once again, that's occupationaltherapy.com, promo code PODCAST, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to get started today. What I remember when you talked talk to me about the, the statistics and how um, horrible that is for um, for our society, for the, the kids, obviously, for their, their families and um you know, so I, I love uh, the name of your intervention. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and how you came up with it? <laughs> so I call it aquatic, right? So um, you just take the A in aquatic and change it to an O. And so your O and your T are capitalized in the middle. So aquatic. So it's a basically what am I, I'm calling this a, a therapeutic swim intervention. Um, so it's a little bit different than where I started. Um, really, when I started doing lessons, it was adjunctive to land therapy. And I really was addressing land-based goals in the water with this like sprinkling in of swim skills and swim safety. Um, and for families, it was just so needed um, because their kids weren't learning anywhere else, um, how to swim or how to be safe. And I don't know how many family vacations do you know of that don't involve a body of water? Okay, skiing, but even skiing, there might be a, a pool in the hotel or wherever you are, right? Um, so, so many things, hotel pools, beach vacations, um, even like Disney and that, those kind of resorts are going to have pools that families want to spend time at. And 
if they're if if their kids are seekers and they're going to run to the pool anytime they can or when they're in the water to continually dunk themselves underneath water um, without knowing how to come back up and take a breath that motor planning that's so impaired um, so it's really frightening for a lot of families um, so realizing that um, I kind of started doing a something similar when I was back in Sandusky where I we would do a group um, in the summer um, and use my high school swimmers because I taught I um, coached a high school team and um, did any of them end up becoming an occupational therapist you know what yes one of them did okay there you go yeah yeah plant the seeds early yeah exactly that's what we have to do right um, so at any rate, this has sort of evolved over time. Um, we're really, um, I think that this is adjutant to land therapy because we are addressing a lot of motor um, motor planning, core skill, core strength, um, cognitive awareness. We do a lot of social interaction in the water with the kids. So we put um, six kids in the water together and they all have a one-on-one -on -one buddy interventionist. And, um, and so it, it, it's, when I found out the statistics on drowning prevention, on drowning, um, I really felt like this is what I've been trying to do over the last 20 years and just didn't really have the right words to put with it um, or the right reason. And we know that in the typical population, swim lessons has been shown to significantly reduce the relative risk of drowning. And then we also know that parents report that their kids with disabilities of all kinds of disabilities don't learn with typical swim instruction, swim lessons. So thinking about this, like how do we start to address this problem? And so um, when I came here, started working with the local Franklin County Board of Developmental Disabilities and um, consulting with them and thinking about how can we make this work? And so this has just sort of evolved really organically from practice um, into now being able to research this. So practice into making evidence. Um, go get your PhD people. Um, we need more, we need more interventional research to show that what we do works on a daily basis. Um, and so I forget where the question started, but <laughs> it's just kind of the, the, the origin of the name, I think was the, the was origin the of the name. Of so right. yeah, so therapeutic swim intervention, I I firmly believe this is occupational therapy in the water. I, I really believe we are providing individualized um, therapy for kids for them to learn a valued and needed occupation. Um, it's a it's a safety public health um, initiative really from WHO on down. And um, it's just so critical for our families. Absolutely. And I think that's, um, you know, I think feeding and, and uh, is something we're involved with that's sort of a safety issue, but really um, in falls prevention, a lot of the other things that we do that um, sort of have, um, you know, started, you, you know, that in some ways insurance and the medical uh, model is kind of followed through to make sure that safety is, you know, kind of our number one priority of what we're, we need to be doing. So I'm sure for, for families that are aware of the statistics or aware of, you know, kind of their own kids and sometimes that are putting themselves at risk. So what is it like for when you're talking to parents about um, these experiences and, um, you know, how you're, how do you talk to parents about swimming and how do you, you kind of get them on board with this whole process? Or is that not an issue at all? You know, it's really interesting. So we've had a wait list for this program 
since post-pandemic, probably since 2021. Um, I've probably over 100 families that um, still waiting for us to be able to fit them in, which is amazing. We've already served at least 60 unique kids. Um, so I think parents are looking for this because I think that there are more and more they are aware that this is an issue. Um, and, and so it's amazing when you when we do some interviews with the parents, why did you seek out this? What, what were you hoping to get out of this? The number one answer is safety. And the number one answer about what do they think that they've really gained is that their child has gained safety skills in a pool environment. So we have a whole um, educational module that we've built alongside not only are we putting the kids in the water and teaching them swim skills, but we're also teaching them safety skills for the pool, right? Walking feet. Who is the lifeguard? What does the whistle mean? What is the red guard tube for? We've also started to, um, working on having the kids hold onto the guard tube to be pulled to the edge of the pool so that they understand if something were to happen. If this red tube comes at me, I don't think I just grab it. We've also added a lot of caregiver education on, um, you know, the drowning chain of survival. What should they do? What does drowning look like? H how do they keep their kids safe? Um, and so parents have been really, really receptive to what we're doing. And they have actually really helped shape a lot of what we're doing, the parents have. Um, what do they like about the, the intervention? what has been most helpful for their kid, maybe what did their kid not like um, about the intervention, and then we can really tailor um, every single session to each kid and what they need. So maybe I should back up a little bit. We're putting six kids in the water together in a group. So it's individualized because they each have, right now we use OT and PT students as their individual buddies. And, um, and then I kind of lead the group. And so we start with these safety skills on the side of the on the pool. And we use visuals just like we would for a classroom instruction, right? And um, really break things down. We have social stories for different um, skills and, and for the group. Then we do some water adjustment all together at the edge of the pool. And then we introduce one swim skill a week. And then from there, they rotate to these individualized stations. And so there's eight stations around the pool and depending on what level the kids at they'll go to six of those stations so if they're not ready for the deep end they don't go to the deep end right and they have a visual schedule and they can rotate to these stations and then at each station their swim buddy individualizes that skill to that kid's needs and that kid's favorite character maybe or um, we really try to be as play-based and child-led as we can be while embedding these skills this is a, this is what ot's do right we we're masters at breaking an occupation down into individual client factors and, and skills that are needed and then hiding those in play, embedding them in song. And that's what we do. And so we rotate through, they go to all six stations. One of the stations is with the therapist that's leading. So usually me um, or another interventionist that we have. And we problem solve, you know, what's working for which kid and what does that look like? Um, and so then throughout this, the skills are, are reinforced every week. Um, hidden in play, lots of songs. Um, and then we come together at the end for a group game or song or something like that. And then give a little um, input back to the parents on how the kids did that day. And so then we've started adding some handouts for parents on just different aspects of safety each week. 
And then in the last week, this is a 10 week intervention. In the last week, we invite parents into the water with us and we teach them, this is how you hold your child. These are the verbal cues that work best for your child. Um, so again, it's, it's really individualized therapy in this group setting. Um, and the kids, they, you know, it's so amazing to see what happens when you put them in the water together and they start to see others doing things and, and then they start to do those things as well. Whereas when I've done this individually, like a one-on-one, -on -one, um, it's a lot easier for the kid to just not participate. But when they see their peers, it, it is really cool to see what that does. So peer pressure is a wonderful thing. It is. Sometimes. That's it, right. it can be. <laughs> <laughs> and even the kids that you don't think are paying attention are paying attention. Even the ones that are really in their own worlds, they, they are taking so much in, more than we realize, I think. And so you talked about how you're trying to, to grade it based on the, the child or to make it really, you know, child-centered. Do you have a, kind of an assessment you start with to really look at their, their swim skills, their ability to follow directions, that sort of stuff? Or is that what you're working on? Yeah, so a little bit of both. Um, so we have been using the Water Orientation Test Allen, the WODA, which is uh, really the only standardized sort of uh, measure out there of swim skills where it allows for almost a mid-mod max, but it's really a mid-min-assist, max-assist independent type of scale for these swim skills. And it's based on the Hallowick concept, um, which really thinks about first um, achieving water adjustment and bubbles and breath control, then that moves to balance, ma mastering balance and stillness is what they call it. It's basically floats and mastering buoyancy. And then into locomotion, how do you move in the water? Um, it's a great tool, but the, the dif difficulty with that tool is that it doesn't easily correspond to what American Red Cross and some of the others would say are water competency. How do you know you're water competent? It's really more about falling into the water and resurfacing being able to turn at least 180 degrees, being able to swim towards the side of the wall and then getting out of a pool. Um, so, the, so that doesn't really line up exactly to those water competence skills. So the other thing we've been working on creating is a water competency checklist. And so we've taken some of those things and broken them down. Um, so we do that um, as well. We also look at them on land first, always look at your kid on land before you put them in the water. The water is just such a different environment. The buoyancy of the water really changes their center of gravity, how they move. Um, and then you have the element of some possible submergent in liquid, right? So make sure you know how your child communicates, how well they handle different types of directions um, and what their, their needs are really before you get them in the water. So we do that as well. And then we do a COPM with all the parents and ask them, what are you really looking for your child to what sort of skills do you want your child to gain um, out of this 10 week intervention? Um, so it's a combination of land-based and water-based, some standardized tools and some just good old fashioned clinical reasoning and, and um, therapist judgment. Are there other programs that are out there for kids with autism? There are. Um, I think they're harder to find. And one of the things I would love to do is empower more occupational therapy practitioners to get in the water. We have such a great skill set. It lines up so well with what we do. Um, so if you are comfortable in water, 
get in the water. Um, so the National Autism Association does keep a, a running list on their website of other places that do adaptive lessons. Um, but I do think that adaptive lessons are really different from what we're doing because I don't think they're as individualized. You tend to see adaptive lessons still follow sort of a set curriculum. Your kid must do this, 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 and this before they can move on to this, 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 and this. And we take a different approach. We don't have a set curriculum. Um, and really, every kid's swim stroke ends up looking different, depending on what their bodies want to do in the water, what they're interested in. Some kids learn how to do what we call chicken eagle snake on their backs first. Some kids are lent themselves to more of a frog stroke on their stomach. Um, and other kids are ready to move right into like a doggy paddle or that kind of thing. So, um, so I think that's one of the big differences between what we're doing and, you know, a traditional sort of adaptive swim. But I think no matter what, when parents are looking for adaptive lessons, you know, they want to ask those kinds of questions. What is their curriculum? How do they adjust to each kid's needs? Because sometimes they really do work, right? There are some really great adaptive swim lesson instructors out there. I don't want to downplay what they're doing. Um, I just think that we're another resource that could be used because there's not enough adaptive swimming out there. Um, and I think also looking at, you know, disability etiquette and how do they uh, interact with the kids and the families. And I think the other big thing to remember um, when looking for adaptive lessons or thinking about what you're doing in the water if you're going to get in is, you know, behavior is a form of communication and really keeping an eye, especially when you're in the water, for those little tells that a child's starting to get frustrated, right, because we want to make sure that we keep kids safe as much as we can. And particularly when we're adding that element of possible submersion, you want to be really aware of, of what you're doing with your kids in the water. You've kind of already described it, but how would you say that what you're doing is different than those those courses? It's it's individualized. Um, obviously, the one on one um, is helpful. Um, what other things do, do kind of occupational therapists bring to the water uh, for this particular population that you think are uh, kind of help us stand out? Well, I think um, a lot of the, the understanding of sensory integration is really important, and the sensory differences that these kids have in the way they process sensation and, and movement is really important. I think that, you know, motor learning is really important, task-specific training, repetitive task practice. You know, we get bored with 10 reps, <laughs> but our kids need hundreds of reps. And so I think that we're a little bit more patient with that and making sure that we're doing that. Um, and, and again, I, we are writing individualized goals. And so we are tracking um, what we do because again, what we do is in the water, it is therapy. So one of the projects I've had our students working on is that we've been video coding. So we're watching our sessions and we're coding for the presence of therapeutic ingredients. So we're saying, yes, that is grading activities. And every time we see that, we click a button. Every time we see us use the water properties for us to um, adjust for sensation, right? Someone needs more input and we're bouncing in the water or we're using the flow of the water to help them with back float. Um, we see, every time we see that, we code presence of that. Um, motor learning, so anytime we see shaping, so much we're shaping kids' kicks from a bicycle kick into something more functional in the water. We're shaping the vertical position slowly into something more horizontal. So for those who don't know, a, a vertical position is often the drowning position. And when your body starts to get distressed, you'll go into a vertical position with like a scissor kick and it's not efficient. And it 
drowning is often silent. So it's, it's not someone calling out and splashing. So it's helping people recognize what does that look like? And then getting kids, shaping kids out of that position into something that will allow them to propel through the water. So we're doing a lot of motor shaping. Um, and so again, I, I think a lot of what we're doing is it's individualized. The techniques are, are therapeutic. We also really focus on a one-on-one -on -one relationship with the kids. So we have the same person with the same kid every week, um, which that you start to see, they're so fun. They come running into the pool. They're so excited to see their swim buddies. Um, their swim buddies really get to know their kids, what they like, what they don't like, how to kind of push them just enough and then where to kind of back off. Um, for us, everything is very positive reinforcement and kind of laying things at kids' feet and let, letting them try as much as they can. Um, we don't dunk kids um, in the water. When they're ready, they'll go under. We use lots of goggles and, and that sort of thing. These rocks that light up under the pool, um, all kinds of fun stuff to get them interested in, in learning what is it like under the water and what is it like on top of the water. Um, so I, I feel really strongly that this is therapy. Um, I also feel really strongly that almost any occupational therapy practitioner has the skill set to do this. They just need to learn how to break swimming down and and that can be done pretty fairly easily with some time are you looking at some point to not necessarily well maybe to manualize what your your intervention or um to start training other occupational therapists to do this i just think you know like the you know backpack awareness day at the beginning of the year and carfit and some of the other kind of large occupational therapy um not inter I, I guess it's an intervention and that have kind of gone national um which are fine um, but might be a good opportunity for you too to to start you know um, you know having more kids be uh, learn how to swim and uh, to, to be safe absolutely so one of the things that we're looking at is hopefully starting a community of practice on aquatics for kids through aota which will be another way of us just bringing this conversation a little bit more for to the forefront um, doing conversations like this to get the awareness out there um, and we have manualized the intervention that's one of the things that we had funding for this last year with the coding of the ingredients was to manualize the intervention um, and so we need to get at that out and we have not gotten to that point, but that is definitely on the docket for us to continue to have this this conversation and how do we get more people to be able to, to do this and meet the needs of so many more families that are out there. Yeah, absolutely. With uh, 100 people on your waiting list um, is is huge. Um, so for for what you're doing right now, um, it's you're supported by the Franklin County Board of, of DD. Is that just local dollars that are paying for that or are you starting to look at billing insurance or Medicaid or how is that working? Yeah, so right now everything is covered by the Franklin County Board of DD. They've been wonderful um, in supporting this um, research. So families are being served without having to pay for it right now. Um, I'm not in a position where I can like open a clinic just yet. Um, being on the academic side. However, I do believe that this is a billable service. Um, you know, we are doing therapeutic activity in the water. We're doing, um, we also often address um, some self-care. Think about where can you actually get dressing and showering, <laughs> like real time. Yeah. I mean, how many times can you step in and out of a TheraBand loop? 
Meh. Um, but when you're at the pool, you, you know, the kids get there, we can help them take their clothes off if their suits are already on underneath. We have access to showers that we can do some showers. Um, we work a lot on being able to tolerate water on their heads in the pool. So sprinklers and that kind of stuff, which is all appropriate and applicable to grooming. So I, I strongly believe that a lot of what we do is absolutely billable, therapeutic activity, um, self-care training, and therapeutic exercise. Because again, so much of swimming, you have to have trunk core strength to be able to hold that prone extension or to be able to climb out of the pool. So a lot of what we do in the kicking to be able to propel across the water. Um, I think it's all in how you document it. And making sure that what you are what you are putting in your notes is not quote unquote just swim lessons, and that's one of my biggest pet peeves. Oh well, you're just doing swim lessons. Well, no, it's actually therapy um, with this really amazing outcome of drowning prevention. Right, this is life saving um, for for families. This is not just swim lessons. Um, so yes, I do think that therapists could build this in a one on one setting, absolutely. And I think that it's possible to do it in a group with OTAs and an OT together, um, or even splitting up minutes somehow really creatively. Um, we did also get research funding from the American Occupational Therapy Foundation. And so that funding just ended um, this summer in end of 2023 and the summer. And um, so we'll be hopefully putting out preliminary analysis shows that it, it worked, <laughs> that all the kids improved in swim skills, which is great. And that uh, goals were met according to parent um parent perception, which is and satisfaction, which is amazing. So we are still looking at, um, we actually just applied for additional funding. So we'll see what that looks like so that we can continue to put this out there as a manualized intervention and, and evidence that, um, that occupational therapy can help fill this gap that's out there. Well, and it's just so great and maybe surprising isn't the right word that it hasn't been done before. Um, and right? so way to go, Dr. Kemp. I mean, just really like it's, it's just great that, that, that it is out there. Um, and so obviously safety is huge and helps when we're talking to, to families and funders and, and those sorts of things. But what are some other benefits that you've seen? You talked a little bit about maybe some improvement in ADL, um, which is good, but other, other types of, of improvement, even if it's maybe you have goals or maybe you don't have goals that kind of you're seeing some benefit from talking to the, the kids or from, from their families. Yeah, so we, we do have goals. Um, most of our goals are centered around safety um, on the pool deck as well as in the pool water, right? So listening to a lifeguard or an adult, um, understanding and recognizing depth safety, um, and then also things in the water like backflow and locomotion and all of that. But we also have goals for, um, you know, core strength, I think I mentioned, um, bilateral reciprocal movement. So a lot of motor planning types of things come into play. Um, we do a lot of um, prone extension. Um, and then we do a lot of actually fine motor stuff, believe it or not. You know, you can monkey crawl along the edge of the pool to get clothespins and monkey crawl back and clip them on. There's a lot of stuff that we can do. Families also see um, gains in sensory. A lot of parents have anecdotally told us that their kids sleep really, really well particularly the night of, of swimming and, and the couple nights after. Um, so that has been, we don't have, unfortunately, formal data on that, but I would say uh, greater than 50% for sure. Parents tell us that, that that is 
an amazing thing for their kids. Um, swim skills, um, and then also social skills. We do see families make friends with families and then the kids make friends with each other. And so we've seen a lot of really cool long-term friendships come out of, um, out of our group, which was a totally unexpected situation. Um, also families feel more comfortable um, with recreation activities. We also hear about how fun it is that this kid now has their own thing they can go to where all their siblings have soccer and softball and whatever it is. And now this kid has something they can go to do. And we've um, been able to push kids as they graduate, so to speak, from our program into adaptive swim team, adaptive synchronized swim, special Olympics, um, even onto typical swim teams, which has been an amazing um, result from the the intervention that we didn't anticipate participation it's a good participation thing. imagine that Absolutely. it's what we do so yeah. I, i'm i'm much older than you and uh used to do a lot of uh aquatic therapy with and we had a a, a study we did of course not published um with some uh, some adults with with autism where we had the ability to um, have them swim uh, five nights a week uh, in succession for a month. And so their sleep data, it was amazing. The improvement in it um, because uh, the water and the tiredness uh, is really is really a thing. So Yeah. You know, and I think it's for, you know, all kids with any disability, right? Like we're focused on autism simply because that's a big, it's a big issue. But we also put kids with cerebral palsy, with Down syndrome, with you name it, developmental disabilities, um, most of these kids don't learn to swim in typical swim lessons, and they do need this type of approach. So while we've been focusing on kiddos on the autism spectrum, I think this is valuable for for anybody. Really. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Is um, So just to, we'll, we'll go off safety here in a second, but so do you, what is the difference in helping somebody learn to swim in a pool or to be safe in a pool? versus a, a larger body of water like Lake Erie, which we, we both love uh, a good, we would, I would argue the greatest of all the Great Lakes. <laughs> it is the greatest, right? So, you know, I, I think it's, it is fairly different because in a lake, you can't see if you open your eyes. So, um, you know, one of the things that we try to work on with our kids is being able to go underwater without goggles on, um, because you can't really see that well in a pool either. But then if you, if you are in a lake and you can't see, um, another difference is right, the, the waves and the currents that you would get and, um, there are lots of community rec centers that do have things like lazy rivers that are great to practice in because a, a lot of kids, again, on the spectrum seek that feeling on their bodies or they find the jets in the pool. Um, but I think um, the other thing is, you know, in a pool, you might fall in and you have to think about how to resurface from the bottom. Lakes and ponds, it, it's more of a gradual entry. Um, and so it's for them, it's kind of it's for that environment, it's sort of recognizing when is it getting too deep and how do I turn back around? Whereas in a pool, we have to worry about then once they're under, do they know which way is up and how to push back up off the bottom? Not that that's not relevant in the lake as well, but that the way that they get in um, or end up in is is different for sure. Yeah. And I, I live near Lake Michigan now, and it's just such a dangerous lake because of the, the riptides and the currents and everything. So for for everybody, much much less somebody that that might have autism or a, another um, disability that you know makes it that much more 
challenging for them. Another quick thing um, that families can do that I often tell families to do is to ha dress their kids in like neon colored swimsuits, um, particularly if they're going to a lake, because that'll stick out more. And then if they have multiple kids to dress them in this similar color swimsuit, that way they can kind of keep track of like, where are all the neon yellow or neon pink or bright blue? Um, if you think about it, a lot of swimsuits are like pale blue. Well, that's, that doesn't stick out as well as something bright when you're thinking about tracking your kids in a busy, whether that's a pool or a lake environment. Yeah, gotcha. Good, good tip. Um, so in terms of, um, are there any kids that have kind of stood out or like a, a real success story that you've seen? And I am assuming for some kids, just even initially having them trust you to the point of being able to get in the water is probably um, a big thing or maybe, maybe not. Yeah, actually, I, so I think we have, there's two big profiles that I see. One, those, those that are so afraid to go anywhere near the water, they just don't understand what it's going to feel like. Um, and then the kid that seeks the water and runs and just dives on dive bombs underneath. Um, we've had real success with both of these kids, um, these types of kids. And actually we don't limit our intervention to verbal kids. We have kids with intellectual disability, nonverbal, minimally verbal kids, um, and they all make progress. They don't all make the same amount of progress, right? For some of them, it takes longer to get to where they've got some skills, but, um, but they all do make progress. We have one girl who's nonverbal, um, and she with she did two sessions with us, so about twenty ses twenty sessions. And um, she, um, I'm trying to think how old was she when she joined us. She was probably eight or nine, and she now swims on the synchronized swim team, um, which is amazing. And and she just loves to go to the pool. Um, it brightens her day. She her her parents love to take her. Um, so that's been it's been a real success story. We have another kiddo that did so well that he joined a typical swim team. Um, now he's a, a, a verbal child. Um, and so he does so, it's so fun to watch him. Um, freestyle, backstroke, can't quite figure out breaststroke just yet. Um, but it is on a typical swim team at a normal YMCA. And so has this opportunity for social participation. Um, and, you know, there's other kids that have been working with one girl that I've been working with. She's, um, again, nonverbal, uses a device for to talk. This is, we did three summers, and she's just now able to lift her feet up off the ground um, and is starting to kick and is starting to put her face near the water. So it, it's just, I think it goes to show that every kid can learn. Um, we just have to figure out what is the key and, and how long will it take um, different kids. And I think those are some of the questions we're hoping to be able to answer with some of these bigger research projects of how do we figure out who needs how much of this intervention, who can start right away in a group, and who maybe needs some like parent-child interaction and, and just positive water exposure before we go into actual instruction and in how to swim. Um, I think that I had another kid that I used to work with way back in Sandusky, though, that he actually went and swam for his college. Um, it was just so cool. It's so cool to see what the what this can open up for some kids, for sure. Yeah, because um, once, <laughs> once you start to live the swim life as a former swim team dad um, and the 5.30 a.m. practices because they didn't have a pool, those were those were the days. Um, but but to, to be able, those are great problems for a, a parent, for a you know, a kid with autism to have, you know, to be able to have a, a group and to, to, you know, 
figure out the, um, you know, your responsibility for other people on your team and, and those sorts of things. Yes, um, a sense of belonging, right? And to have other kids that understand you and can, you know, something that you enjoy to do together. I think that's so critical. Yeah, absolutely. So is there a, an age of like kind of when you start working with kids or what you would recommend? Yeah, so, you know, I, I think this is something that we've been sort of evolving over time as well. And I, I think I see kids really start to take off with um, independence and skills kind of around six. Um, we take kids as young as five um, and as old as 10 in our group. Um, the sweet spot seems to be six to eight where they, and I think that again, if we look at what happens in a typical population, most kids learn to swim in around the same time frame, maybe a little bit earlier, um, but that seems to be the sweet spot. But the important thing does seem to be positive water experiences before that age. Um, so going with the family to zero entry pools and just getting used to splashing and what happens, what does that feel like on my body? Um, we are looking at doing some more parent-child kinds of things for those younger kids because um, I think the younger ones do tend to benefit from a different type approach um, than this like, okay, here we go. We're going to learn this kind of thing. Kids older than that, um, we have not done a ton of that with, but I have a huge need. And again, I, I think they can. I think it's just going to take longer for them to learn, especially if they haven't had that exposure um, over time. Yeah. And I know you're, so your intervention now is, is once a week for 10 weeks. Is that sort of how you would like to do it? Or what do you think in terms of what would be your, your ideal kind of level of intervention if, uh, anyway, what's your ideal level of intervention? You know, I, I think I, I like once a week, we're in the water for anywhere from 45 to 60 minutes, just to spend, depending on how the day is going. Um, 10 weeks seems to be a good amount of time that parents can kind of commit to being there. Um, and then we usually take some time off, um, like a month, depending on where the holidays and sort of thing fall. Um, and then we can start them up again. Um, I think, you know, I think like anything more is better. So I think twice a week might be ideal. Um, but if we look at what works for families, I think once a week for about 10 weeks seems to be pretty good. Kit families will often maybe miss one or two if they're sick here and there. A minimum dose um, from the research and from our um, anecdotal evidence seems to be at least eight, eight hours, eight, eight weeks of intervention is when we, we know we're going to get some gains. Um, but I think a question is how many rounds of this do we need? I, I think we need closer to about a year. Um, and I think, again, if we look at what goes on, and, and the difficulty with this is there's not really anything um, solid out there about even how long or how many sessions um, typical people need to learn how to swim. So we're trying to go against this like non-existent benchmark that we all sort of have in our heads. Um, but it, it seems to be about a year. Um, and then I think kids kind of need a bit of a break. Um, so we do three times a year, three sessions. So 30 sessions seems to be, and then a couple of months off before we decide what, what you're going to do from there. Gotcha. And I'm sure parents are, <laughs> would love to have this every week, uh, or, you know, multiple sessions and, and that sort of thing. Um, which is, which is great. So do you, and so you said pretty much for all of the kids that you've worked with, you've seen a level of improvement that, you know, you can, and I guess you've had video evidence that day one and at the end of 10 weeks, you're seeing kind of a different behavior in the water or, you know, safer behaviors in the water, that sort of thing. 
Yes, definitely. Um, so we, yeah, we have video evidence and as well as those um, assessments that we're doing. And the really interesting thing is we tried to do blinded assessments before and after, um, but then I also had their primary swim buddy administer the assessment and we definitely see a better um, performance for their familiar buddy than we do an unfamiliar buddy. And, and that's part of autism spectrum disorder, right? This idea of I don't know you, I don't trust you, even though it's in a familiar pool environment. So, um, but that's where we have the video to back us up and say, you know, that kid actually has that. If they were to fall in the water, we think they would be able to show us what that skill looks like for sure. Gotcha. Um, so you kind of have touched on this a few times, but if there's an occupational therapy practitioner out there that's thinking, ooh, I like to swim, um, I like working with kids with autism. Um, I'm interested maybe in a side hustle or as a volunteer. What do you, what do you recommend um, that, that they, where would they start? How do they get trained? Um, can they, you know, just take a class at Ohio State? Do you have, an, do you have a class on aquatics yet? It's in development. Uh-huh. <laughs> there you go. It is in development. Um, but also if they are in Florida, um, Dr. Tana Carson at Florida International University is also doing work in drowning prevention and is does have a course um, for her students that they can take in therapeutic swim intervention. Um, and so we are working on getting something up here as well. Um, you know, I, I think, first of all, I'm happy to talk to anyone that has that interest and, and help them understand kind of what would they need to do. I think revisiting swim instruction is a great way to think about what are the things kids learn? How do you learn to swim? And then really applying that OT hat activity analysis. Um, if you kind of start there, that's a really good place to be. Hopefully we'll have um, some sort of externally facing course, continuing education course very soon um, that people could sign up for. Um, through Ohio State. Um, hopefully in the next year that should be done. I know that feels like a long way out. So um, if people are looking for something before that, they're certainly welcome to reach out to me. Um, and then also to look out for our community of practice. We're really um, hoping to get that up and running um, by springtime um, as well. Meet with like-minded people. Yeah, absolutely. So would you, would the first step being, you know, uh, just getting certified as a lifeguard does that make sense as a i mean maybe yeah i, th I think certification as a lifeguard goes for a long way for helping recognize what that drowning position looks like i think those classes are readily available um through american red cross or through a local ymca um and then the second step would be getting in uh, being um like a, a swim instructor of some kind. And there's multiple um, certifications out there for that, right? The YMCA has um, a certification for swim instructor. The Red Cross has water safety instruction. Um, swim, Amer swim America is another one that has a water safety um, swim instructor certification. Um, so thinking about what's in my area that I could just get certified as a swim instructor. And then once you have that sort of progression of skills, then it's applying your OT hat to each individual kid. How do I help this kid achieve these milestones um, through their, you know, individualized evaluation that you do? Yeah, I would think the, you know, it's like any credential, it helps families feel like we're competent, you know, if we have some, you know, at least that very basic level. Um, you know, if, if something happens to junior, you could, you could intervene pretty quickly to, to make sure that they're, that they're safe. Um, and then, 
have you thought about liability insurance and whether or not uh, Marsh or our other liability providers will, would be covering this or I don't know. You know, that's a good question. So I do carry my own liability insurance on top of what the university has. Um, and then, you know, the university is in contract with Franklin County for the pool usage. So a lot of that is covered there. Um, so I think those are really good questions if you're as a private practitioner, um, if you're going to be at the community pool during open swim time, you know, who carries that liability for, you know, if you're there during the lifeguarded time, um, what is your responsibility as the therapist and what is the open pool time? If you're going to contract for a hotel pool or something, you know, making sure again that whoever you're working with on your business side is then also aware of where you're doing um, your, your intervention. Um, I don't think this carries any more risk than typical swim lessons do because it's one-on-one. -on -one. And even when we look at community swim lessons, their ratio of anywhere from like four to eight to one instructor. Um, so what we're doing, I think, is is at least that safe, particularly if you go through that lifeguard certification and you recognize what to be watching for. Um, then I think that, you know, you're really, really set um, to be able to recognize and respond to any sort of issue that might come up with with a child when you're in the water. Nice. Are you starting to see students come to Ohio State because of the aquatics opportunities that are there or? Interestingly enough, I have had a couple come, um, which is just so cool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I just I just love thinking that there's people out there that would also like to have their hobby become their job, right? And so this idea of, of being in the pool where you can be so it's so freeing to be able to swim um, and then to be able to do this for a group of people who are not able to access this, it's really been the best thing I've ever been able to do. And I'm so um, thankful that you made the connection from me to Franklin County way back when, when I first there started you go. here. It's funny how these little things it swim is. around. I it is so true. <laughs> <laughs> so you've had capstone students that have helped, I'm assuming? Yes, yes I've had... Absolutely. I've had a student from Marquette University this last summer. Um, and then I've had students, obviously, from our own program doing this. Um, I love to work with capstone students. And so they get the opportunity to, to really do get involved in interventional translational research. Um, so they help with some of the data analysis. They get that exposure to why is this important? Why are we collecting the data in the way that we're collecting it? Um, and then also they get to be in the water and get some of those really hands-on skills um, and how to treat. And um, one of the, my favorite, other favorite things is mentoring students. And that's really the whole reason that I came into academia was to make better practitioners. And I love, love, love working with students. Um, so if there are capstone students out there listening that are interested, I'd be happy to have a conversation with you about you coming to Columbus. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, have you had any, um, how many years have you guys been doing this? Four years? Five years? Yeah, you know, we started in 2019. Um, and then so something that, happened. And then, yeah, like COVID global pandemic. Yeah. yeah, and then we picked up again um, early, gosh, was it early 21, I think? I don't remember. I feel like there was this, like, blur. <laughs> of years and i don't i don't know but yeah i mean i've been working at the county for for eight years um, we have a great relationship with them they they keep their pool at 90 degrees um so it's great for little bodies it's hot for the grown-ups so the pool deck is 85 and the humidity is anywhere from 60 to 70 percent so it's pretty pretty rough some days well that way um, it's slick right so you can help te teach them 
uh, pool safety uh, by walking, not running. Uh, exactly, exactly. That's a good thing. <laughs> so have you had any of your, your students that have graduated and are, have kind of brought aquatics into their practice after graduation? Yes, I have, which is so cool. Um, a couple, one in Chicago is working for a private practice and she's been doing some some groups. One is down in, oh, North Carolina, South Carolina. Oh, she's going to kill me. I don't remember which one. Um, and she's doing it for another, a private practice down there. Um, and I, I have one that I'm getting ready to rehire to come back and help us with our intervention, which is really exciting. Um, and we've got a couple of private practices, at least one here in Columbus, um, that's going to be doing some aquatics as well using this, this methodology. So I'm excited to say that I think I'm having an effect out there and, and getting people to think differently about aquatic therapy and its use, right? It's great adjective to land therapy, absolutely, but also drowning prevention. Um, it's just so important right now. You go, Dr. Kemp. That's pretty, pretty cool. Um, so in terms of, like, you've said that you think that this is billable. So I assume the the people that are working for the um, the private practice clinics are probably billing for it directly. Or do you know yes. anything about that? So some of them are just doing private private cash basis fee for service um to families. Um, but I know that even in that model, some county um, DD waiver money is helping pay for some of that. Um, so that is good. And yes, I do believe that some of the other private practices in, in that I mentioned, they are billing um, units, whether that's for early intervention units or private, um, you know, Medicaid, um, Therex, their activity, self-care. Um, so yes, I do think that it is billable. And and I think it's it's just, in, it's all about how you talk about what you're doing, right? So if you talk about that you're working on motor planning, multi-step direction following, social interaction, social participation, ADLs, um, cognitive safety awareness, um, all of these things are critical and I think are, are billable to insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes um, practitioners hear someone in academia that got a grant or something and, you know, it's kind of like, well, yeah, they can, you know, they're in academia or, or whatever. And so it's it's easy for them to get a grant. But have you been, and, and you don't have to get into too much of the weeds, but have you been talking with other organizations about uh, maybe interest in funding or, um, you know, what, what are you looking for for next steps or what are some, some places that that maybe other practitioners could go to for, for funding for this, even outside of typical insurance? Yeah, I, I think, well, I think definitely looking at whatever your um, developmental board of disabilities is doing in your direct area, for sure. Um, and I think that, you know, I've seen Autism Speaks fund different projects. Um, and then also, I really think there's a lot out there for drowning prevention right now. And so um, looking at, you know, the NIH now has a call specific to drowning prevention um, for all individuals, not just individuals with disabilities. So I think we're going to see more and more um, interest in this topic across ages and um, neurotypical to disabilities. And so I think being really creative about it um, and thinking about even just nonprofit organizations in your community and are there opportunities even to do in, um, inclusive lessons um, and offer this to um, 
even to individuals that can't afford regular swim lessons, because let's be honest, you know, swim lessons cost money, um, even at your local community center. And so how can you maybe partner with your local community center to offer this um, at a low cost um, and then look at nonprofits in your area to help fund this type of intervention, um, especially if you're in a private practice where you have the freedom to be able to work with different payer sources. Um, how can you think outside of traditional medical insurance um, to be reimbursable? And I think that's one of the really cool things about OT is that we have the skill set to do that and to think about serving populations and communities and groups. Um, and so then, you know, taking those that business plan that you had to write back in your your master's or um, doctorate course and how do you put that to to work in your favor at this point and what other funding sources are out there well and i think there's there's lots of opportunity as well with um you know children's hospitals and that many of them have pools and um you know how do they partner even with with an academic program as well to be able to to deliver this because you know we <laughs> There are there already you know the the kids we're treating either in public schools or you know in outpatient clinics or in hospitals like we we know who the population is and and we have access to them so how do we um, you know really help to support the kids and the families to to keep them safe in this you know such a, an important area so. Um, and I think if you do work for a school district, um, you know, looking at does your high school have a pool and is it full all day? And could you take some of your kids if you're a school-based therapist, how can you take your kids in the water? You know, if you do have an ADL um, goal, it's a perfect time to do that. If you do have a strength goal, um, there are so many things that you can do that you have to address on land that you can do in the water. And particularly if you're, if you have a pool nearby, I think that so the school that I'm at, um, the Franklin County DD School, West Central School, they have a successful program where their therapists do bring their kids into the water as well during the day. And then we're there after school hours. So I think getting creative about how do we provide this to kids is, is really important. What I think, too, about even the like the kids that, you know, you don't you don't get their minutes uh, during the, the school year and they need, you know, extra treatment in the summer. Like it's a great way to. You know, even if it's a, a, a week intensive or a two week intensive where you're able to, you know, kind of use your, um, you know, the, the kind of the, the course that you're creating uh, and, the you know, to be able to, to offer that in the summer for kids. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Use that ESY time. Absolutely. So lots, lots and lots of, of options. Well, Dr. Kemp, way to go. Thank you. You are making a difference in the profession. So I uh, really appreciate um our chat today. And I know I've learned a lot. I'm sure that our, our listeners and viewers uh, have learned a lot as well. So thanks. Uh, any other last minute advice you have for people? I think, you know, if I, for anyone, just jump in and try it, get in the water and, um, and whether maybe aquatics isn't the thing, but something else you've been thinking about trying, do it. Take that step. Be bold. You never know what'll come of it. Dr. Erica Kemp from the Ohio State University. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It's good to talk to you. Mm -hmm.